Welcome to the Divine Self Secret Garden Podcast. On today's episode, John Davis, and I am your host, Megan Corcoran. Welcome, Divine Souls, to the Secret Garden Podcast. I hope you are all doing so well today. It has been a crazy year with the pandemic and the lockdowns, but the one thing I have seen that has come out of this is the rising of everyone's subconscious awareness and being more consciously aware. Um, you know, really looking at our subconscious beliefs and the patterns in our lives and and breaking those patterns, and it's been really amazing to see Um, My guest today is John Davis, and we talk about present moment choices lead to tomorrow's outcome and really going into those subconscious moments and looking at the the patterns in our life and really evaluating them and seeing if they work for us. For those of you that are new to my podcast, you can come find me on YouTube at The Divine Self, and I go into everything you need to know about narcissism and these cycles and breaking these cycles. And so a little bit about John, you can find him at corporateactionhero.com. His podcast is Interaction Hero. Um, John is a dynamic speaker, accomplished leader, and expert in managing people to peak performance during change. He has over 20 years experience speaking for Fortune 500 clients uh, on a broad swath of industries, including healthcare, financial, insurance, retail, and the military, and hundreds of conferences, seminars, and retreats. John was a former stuntman, fight director, comedian, professor, artistic director, and is an executive. He works on the 5F method that we go into here in The Secret Garden. Welcome to The Secret Garden today, John. All right. Welcome to The Secret Garden today, John Davis. I'm so happy you were here. All right. So, uh, so, Yeah, you leave me in and I'll take you. I was saying that, oh, uh, that you feel powerless in these relationships and that you have to find your, you know, your, your power, your own inner action hero to survive these relationships and even to get out of them. Right. Right. And you know, it's, it's funny. It's hard. It's sometimes hard to find your inner power. You know, for me personally, I, I was raised in a, in a large Catholic family. There was a total of seven kids, (laughs) obviously Catholics, right? Uh, Sounds like my family. I have, I have five, Full blood and then five half blood. And okay. Uh, so my dad's got 10 kids total. Oh, wow. Total pimp, right? Total Catholic family. And right. uh, yeah, but there's two families. Does that really make it a good Catholic family? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. well, well, hang on. Good Catholics, yes. Yes. Not, not, not <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, my father, he had, like I said, they had seven kids. And my father was absolutely a narcissist and, and an emotional abuser, but he funneled the majority of his, um, his negativity on one of his seven kids. Yeah. You know, a lot go. of them, a lot of them had a bunch of stuff like my, you know, I've, I've got a sister who, who struggles with drugs and alcohol and, you know, I've got a lot of other things. Um, but for me, um, I was the one, I was the one that, that he decided that he didn't like. And, 
everything was about how terrible I was. Even to my other brothers and sisters, he would talk about me to them. You know, so he was literally putting me in my place. Now, here I was a kid who, in my life, I never did drugs. I never drank. I never was in trouble. I never had any issues with the police. My brothers and sisters all did. Right. Mm -hmm. But I never I never had those those issues, but I was the one he hated. So I was the one that he knocked down, which which gave me no self-esteem, which took away all of my inner power to the point where I literally couldn't do anything and knew full well that I would never achieve anything in my life. And it closed me down to the point where I was a complete introvert, could not handle social situations because I felt as if everyone was judging me and, and beating me up. And this started at a very young age. So they, they say that you 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 become who you are in your first seven years. And in those seven years, I was I was being emotionally abused, and so I was shut down really hard. And it wasn't until um, someone drugged me, kicking and screaming, to a Renaissance festival. Um, and I, I say kicking and screaming. I was kind of excited to go, but I was really nervous about going in, in, into that space, especially because they had decided that not only was I going, but I was going to wear one of their costumes. Oh, yes. Right, so here I am now at a Renaissance festival. And instead of being like the dressed in Renaissance garb and looking like the romantic hero, they dressed me up like a Viking. And I had this suit of chain mail armor and a horn helmet. And <laughs> I was this giant guy. And I, you know, and I came up with this funny name, Darian the Barbarian, right? and, and wandered around. And that day at that Renaissance festival, I'm, you know, I'm a six foot one man. And I, at that point I was probably 240 pounds of solid muscle and I looked great in that, in that costume. And I, I, was, I say that not in an egotistical way. I, I looked like a, I had a full beard and everything else. And all day long, people were coming up and taking pictures with me. And it was like this, this real um, infusion of positive reinforcement in one day. And wow. I was so taken by it but the by the time i returned the next year i had my own costume right <laughs> and then eventually i i got someone uh the artistic director a guy named john struken saw me coming to the festival and playing a character because i would go there and i would turn off who i was because it was okay it was like a vacation from myself going there and being something i could never be anywhere else in the real world it was a fantasy and um he saw me. He said, I really like what you do in the streets. He said, would you come next year and be part of our cast? So I actually came back wow. next year and became part of the cast. So now here's this weird scenario where I'm working at a Renaissance festival, which, by the way, the most gregarious, outgoing people are theater people and mm -hmm. people who do Renaissance festivals. Mm -hmm. you know, the, those two people are just like right there. But I was having this thing where I would go on the streets when the fair opened and I was Darian the Barbarian and became one of the most popular characters in the very first year I did it. But when the fair closed, John Davis came back out and I was this introverted guy who was so concerned about what everybody thought of him. And, and it took me a very long time to realize that there wasn't really a separation there. It was my choice to have power as that character. And so I had to come to that place where my choices had to come into my own life and my own experience. You know, they say that if you want someone to love you, you have to be you fully. You have to be 
you completely because we all when we say we want someone to love us, we're not asking for conditional love. We're we're asking for unconditional love. Yeah. And if you want unconditional love, if you want someone to unconditionally love you, then you have to be you. And yes. you know, and if you're not you, then then they don't love you <laughs> unconditionally. Right. Yeah. Right? And, and I think about that. It's so interesting. We've had similar lives. I was definitely the scapegoat in the family. However, I was an outspoken scapegoat. I would call mm-hmm. out the abuse and then I would get punished for calling out the abuse and she's crazy. And same thing. I was a good girl. I sang in choir. I performed at Disney. I went swing dancing till one o'clock in the morning, but my mom always knew where I was. Like I wasn't doing anything. Like I, I, I think I tested the waters with alcohol for like just a minute, but really good girl. Right. Like, and, but I was the the bad one and, and still to this day, the bad one. And it's, and, and, and it's all about conquer and divide. And you've got to talk to all the other family members and, and isolation and, and, you know, and I went into acting too. And, and as an actress, I found my, my confidence and I, I liked who I was as an actress and I, I, I got a lot of attention. I was a really good singer and when I stopped acting later on in life, I was like, wow, who you really got to go and self-explore. Right. And then I get into a really abusive relationship and it's just been this whole journey of, of self-exploration. But that's it's interesting. I think I look at a lot of theater people and I think we're all there for the same reason is that we we've had to become actors to to find ourselves or to even be seen in this world. Right. Well, it, the interesting thing is when, when you've been abused by a narcissist, you come to a place where where you you are powerless and you have to step outside of yourself to find power. You know, a lot of times with, with um, other narcissists, uh, uh, narcissistic vi- victims I've known, people who are victims of narcissism, they put on characters in their real life. Like, I am somebody else at work than I am at home. I am somebody else in the supermarket than I am at home, right? So they'll, they'll start compartmentalizing their emotional outreach to other people as different characters. They don't necessarily say it as clearly as we, you and I are saying it coming mm-hmm. from a theater background, but they literally say, okay, now I'm going to, ah. and there's a famous story of uh, Norma Jean who became known as Marilyn Monroe. And it was very interesting. There's a story of her walking down the street with somebody and no one recognizes her. No one sees her. And he's, and, and the person she's with says, I, I don't understand how you can, how you can even walk out in public. She says, oh, you want to see her. And she changed, she took on the persona and everybody stormed her, right? We all have that ability to put on a persona. The question is, is that persona real or not? And is that power real or not? And until you personally take the power for yourself, you'll never get there. You know, for me, I had gotten to the point where I was, I was getting very powerful. And I became like you in the fact that as I got older and, and into acting a little bit more, I confronted my father on a lot of things, which mm-hmm. made the whole situation worse. Yes. Don't, <laughs> the, don't, confronting oh, a narcissist is never a good idea. It's just you right. got to do the inner work and walk away. <laughs> yeah. he, he told me on Christmas Eve to pack my S and get the heck out of his house. He didn't say it that way. He used different words. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it was it was it was really hard. But you know, the interesting thing was is that that in the process of of all this stuff, I'm building up my power. I'm getting strong, right? The next major thing that knocked me down had me instantly fall back into the patterns. You know, 
The next thing, major thing that happened to me, I, I was on my way to becoming a stuntman and a fight director. I was going for my, my, my black belt in Taekwondo. I was working on a lot of things. And I was helping a friend of mine unload. I was 22 now. So now I'm a little bit out of that range, right? Helping a friend of mine unload his van of boxes of clay. He was a professional potter. And I picked up the first box of clay and I went to set it outside of the van and my spine split in two and I collapsed wow. and I found myself paralyzed. Wow. And it took me to the hospital and the doctors <laughs> read to me. The doctor that, said to me, Liza Minnelli. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, that's the name of the dog, Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli, yep. Oh, that's she, a great name. That's she great acts name. just like anxiety, looks just like Liza Minnelli. It's the perfect. Oh, that's dog. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's exciting. Um, I love Doug. I had a I had a 110 pound Rottweiler. He was the best dog in the world. Biggest lap dog you could possibly imagine. They're the um, best. <laughs> so um so you know, the doctor doctor says, John, you have spina bifida occulta, which basically meant that uh, three of my vertebrae never formed properly at birth. And when I twisted with the extra 80 pounds of weight that day, I literally disconnected the upper half of my spine from my lower half of the spine. Wow. And, but the next thing he said to me was, you'll never be a stuntman. You'll never be a fight director. You may never walk again. So he started giving me all these beliefs. Well, that totally played into the whole narcissist thing because I was told when I was young, I would never do anything that I wanted to do. I was told I would never amount to anything. And it was during that time that someone gave me a book. And it sounds, when you look back on it, it sounds like a really cruel joke. Uh, they he, he gave me a book called uh, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. So he gave me a book by the greatest martial artist that ever lived about martial arts right after a doctor told me that I would never do martial arts again. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, well, well hey, Thanks. That's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I believe re- we manifest everything in our life and even down to that level of detail, right? Like right. it's just. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I started reading this book and this book starts talking about mental flexibility and staying very present. And I found to build my inner power and to get over the things my father said, I had, I had to literally stay very present and start stacking my present moments. Now, I'll tell you an interesting story. I became very estranged from my father. For most of my life, I didn't speak to him, except for once a year, holiday, right? And I and I literally did not talk to him at all. And I found myself teaching. I was teaching uh, in a stage combat workshop in Canada, a big international stage combat workshop. And it was between Christmas and New Year's one year. And I'm up there, and I'm teaching. I get a phone call from my sister. And she says, dad died. And all I could say was, oh, thank God. Yep. Yep. Oh, thank God. And I instantly felt bad because I was a bad son because I never should have said that. And I cried for three days. And I was just and, – and the more I look back at that, it was not about my father dying. It was about the release of tension. Yes. Now at this at this point I was I was in my forties, <laughs> right? I was in my 40s, probably close to fifty at that time, and and I was still carrying all of that from from when he treated me that way as a young man, and so to have that kind of emotional release decades later tells you how powerful 
the narcissistic emotional abuse is because it really affects you for life. And and it really comes to you having to make those present moment choices and empowering yourself. Absolutely. I mean, you know, so many people that I talk to or reach out to me, you know, they'll leave, they'll be, they come from a narcissistic family dynamic. Then they marry a narcissist, right? They repeat the pattern. Then they leave that narcissist. And then then until they do the work, they continue to repeat the pattern. And it's really deep rooted, subconscious, you know, beliefs that are there and I, and they're generational, right? This, your dad just wasn't a narcissist. This came from his family and his generations and it's passed down. And it's, I mean, when I talk about breaking the cycle, breaking the chain, it's literally pulling, you know, I call this the secret garden because it's going in and plucking the weeds out of you and planting new beautiful seeds. So your beautiful divine can grow, right? Like, and you gotta go, you gotta do the work. And it's, it's a very spiritual journey within yourself and mm. and having that inner knowing and you'll carry that around with you and every decision you make in life will be because you you're carrying that around with you and you don't even know that you're doing it right and if you really now i'm going to i'm going to tap into a couple little weird spiritual things here if that's okay yeah of that's course okay, okay. <laughs> buddha says what you think you become you create your world gandhi says you must be the change you want to see in the world krishna says you are the culmination of your thought and Jesus said, whatever you ask in God's name is granted. But Moses said, God's name is I am. Not mm-hmm. what he says I am. Yes. Or, yeah. So, so your I am, your, your one present moment. Now, you talked about that subconscious belief. Now, that subconscious belief is a fascinating thing. Because when you look at that subconscious belief, your subconscious mind is built up of two uh, distinct um, jobs that it has. It has a job of collecting and storing present moment memories to create an underlying subconscious belief. It's also there to show you what you are actually focusing on right here, right now. So, for instance, if you like a certain kind of car or you decide you're going to buy a certain kind of car, you'll start seeing that car everywhere before you go to the store to buy it. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, oh, hey, there's that car. There's that car. This is great, right? And that's because you cho- you consciously chose in your pre- in your I am moment. You said I am liking that car, so your subconscious mind started showing you that car. The other thing is, is the future is just a place where you set goals for your next I am moment, because it, it you're not you can't do anything in the future. You can only do it now. And a lot of people say here in this moment, after having a a, a past like we, you and I have been discussing, and they 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 want to be somewhere else. They want to be in that that that's picture they have in their head of where they want to go. And they think it has to be a struggle to get there. And the reality of it is you don't have to get to it. It's coming to you depending on your present moment actions. Because it's it's the small, tiny successes that stack on top of each other that pulls that outcome to you. Because when you experience that outcome, it's going to be right here, right now in your present moment. It's going to surround you here. Right. So you don't have to be all daunted about being somewhere or being some way. You literally just sit here and do the small successful moments. Here's the cool part about it. Once you start stacking small successful present moments, you've now put one small successful present moment in your subconscious mind. And then you do another one and you put another one in there and you put another one. In there. And so what happens is all that old subconscious stuff gets pushed, pushed further and further back. 
You know, it's in my, my personal belief that this is what the actual meaning of be born again means. It means start new and yep. start stacking new things in the subconscious mind behind you. Now, what's cool about that is once you start stacking those in there and your subconscious belief starts to change, then you have a subconscious belief that's now helping you achieve something more. And you're now creating from a subconscious belief that's positive and successful. And you end up creating more. And the tough part is, is staying focused positively. Because if yeah. you stay fo focused positively is, is the key. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because so many people that I talk to and myself included, you know, I, I knew that I was abused as a child and I was in therapy my whole life, but I didn't know what a narcissist was. We use the word narcissist, always such a narcissist, but not understanding that being in the wake of these narcissists is, is, is life-threatening. Right. Mm -hmm. And I listened to a book from a podcast and they enlightened me to this whole narcissism concept. And I started watching YouTube videos and I felt like Alice in Wonderland literally falling down into the rabbit hole and waking up in a new world that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And every person that comes to me is like, but, but for about six months, you're completely obsessed with watching YouTube videos on narcissism. And it's all of these coaches that will tell you that you're obsessed with watching, you know, and I thought we all do the same thing and we all got, and when people reach out to me for a coaching, I'm like, you're not going to get from point A to point Z today. You got to right. go to from point A to point B. So continue educating yourself and continue to be obsessed with YouTube. And the, the more you do it and the more you enlighten yourself and the more you wake up to what is happening to you, you'll manifest yourself out of this. Right. And, right. and, and it will, it will, it will come. Right. And, and so many people are trying, and then they want to control it in this moment and, but they have to do the work. And it, it's, it, it's amazing because we all took the same journey to get to that, to get to that point. And, um, and, and I think about that because you're right. It was just reprogramming everything that I knew. Because once I was open to this concept, I was like, wow, this has happened to me my whole life. And this right. is, it was everything I knew wasn't what I knew. Right. And, it's, right. and it blows your mind. It really does. <laughs> you know, you know uh, I, I'm, I, I, as I said, I was raised Catholic. My mom had her master's degree in liturgy. Uh, we used to call her St. Joan because <laughs> um, <laughs> she was that Catholic. But um she, I was very blessed when I turned eighteen. She said, "John, you, uh, your spirituality is a is a personal journey. You've got to find your own path. You can't just follow what somebody else says. You're supposed to believe." So I went off and I did. A, I studied for years on every religion I could get my hands on and every spirit. And I discovered that I don't like religion. I like spirituality. I like the yeah, the universal truths that I find in all of it. Right. And what I find really interesting is when you look at things like. Um, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and, and Sufism and, and Baha'i, you find you find this correlation that God is love, which is what the Apostle John said, God is love. In Sufism, they say that God is on one side of a veil and we're on the other side of the veil and our life is about struggle against the veil and the veil is fear, which I think is really fascinating. And then when you look in Buddhism, and this is this is the one that I recently found this, and I, I was just blown away when I really dug into this. You know, Buddhism is famous for saying life is about struggle. It's you know they it, it get, they feel like there's a focus on struggle, but when you look at the actual original text and you start digging into it, you find something really really fascinating. The word that was translated into struggle was the word dukkha, and dukkha has three meanings. And the reason it has three meanings is because of the fact that in that language, the concepts 
are too broad to be put into one English meaning. So they broke the the concepts out into three meanings. And when you translate that word into English, the three meanings are, are, starts out as pain or struggle. The second one is (laughs) habitual action. Mm -hmm. And the last one is, um, see, pain or struggle, habitual action. And, um, And to put it basically subconscious belief, Mm -hmm. it's I I don't know the exact word terminology. So when you put all three of those concepts together in one, life is about habitual action caused by subconscious belief that causes pain and struggle. How's that for a different different interpretation of that statement? Right. Yeah. And you look about when, when you're someone like you or I who's gone through a situation like this. We have habitual actions caused by our subconscious subconscious belief, and it does cause pain and struggle because our focus is negative. We're focused on we can't, you know, and those, those concepts of having to take the I am, you know, I am this. Now, a lot of people will get into that same moment and they'll they don't think they can. And so they'll say words after I am that means that they're not and. You, you'll know them very quickly. Most people think it's like, well, it's not very clear that they're said that. But yeah, wanting, needing, hoping, and trying, those words means you don't have, right? Yeah. <laughs> that conscious belief, right? So what I had to do in my life is to get out of that bed and, and get – I went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting shows all over the world. I was on the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan. I climbed Mount Sinai. I was in Machu Picchu. I was inside the pyramids of Giza. I've been to 30 countries around the globe, and I have done amazing things in front of audiences of thousands now. Now, I went from being a complete introvert to doing that. But it was all by changing, first of all, my vocabulary to make sure anything I was saying in my present moment about my present moment was positive and active. So instead of saying I am trying, I said I am creating. I am moving forward. You know, um, one of the things that's big right now in the metaphysical world is is affirmations. I don't believe in affirmations. And I'll tell you why I don't believe in affirmations, because I think the word affirm means you're shoring something up that isn't solid. And that's a belief that you're believing that it's not solid. You know, what you think you become, you create your world. I believe in declarations. You have oh, to de- like you have to declare your experience. And if you really think about one of the wisest sages that ever lived, a guy named Yoda, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yoda said, mm, do or do not, there is no try, right? Mm-hmm. Do or do not, there is no try. You've got to have that space of I am creating. I'm just, In affirmations, I can be a 400-pound man and say I am a thin person, right? That's mm-hmm. what affirmation does. It, it takes the reality out of it. But that man still can't see his shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he still can't see his shoes. So he can't, he can't believe that. And what you think is your belief. And so if you if you can't believe it, you're not creating it. And so he can, in that moment, however, say, I am eating better. I am walking more. I am creating a new physical life. I am becoming a healthier, more fit person. Right? Yeah. That's that those are active statements. And you have to to break out of the cycle of of limitation and self-doubt that is caused by a narcissist, you know, thrusting that upon you. You have to grab your present moment and and make it yours. Because if you don't make it your yours, you're living their life and not your own. 
Absolutely. And I really think that that's the key, right? Once Mm -hmm. most people leave toxic relationships and these narcissists or lose their family, you kind of lose everything. I lost everything. I lost my my marriage, my family, my money, my job, everything came crashing down. And it was just me and my dogs and my stuff, right? And I had to rebuild. And all I could do was enough to get up every day and go to work and come home. And I I was forced to just be present. I couldn't even think what was going to happen next week. I couldn't. That was too much for me to grab at the time. It was too exhausting. But I realized that was just me rebuilding this new way of of being, right? And, 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 And becoming and... Now I realize it, it, it was almost the universe just gave it to me. I didn't even have to really, I, I had no choice but to just do it that way. And that was it. <laughs> and, and it came, it happened. And, and now I look at life through a completely different lens and have a very different b- viewpoint on everything in life and all of my relationships. And, you know, deep connection really means the world to me. And that's about it. It's really about having really connect, connection with people and, and genuine, you know, genuine deep connection. Right, and you know what? You here, here, if if what they say in Sufism is correct, and and you know God is on one side of a veil, and the veil is fear, you know, and our struggles against fear. I I look at it a little differently. I I think we're in this life to experience that love, and I don't mean romantic infatuation or or, or you know lust. I mean I mean love, which is just really acceptance for who we are. You know, being fully authentic ourselves and being accepted for that. I think if we're truly here to experience love in that form, then we are given the tool of fear to do that because scientifically you can't know something without knowing the opposite. You have to have a baseline to measure against. And so I think we are standing here in this experience of pure energetic love with our hand on the dial of of a fear fog machine. And we're cranking that fog machine up so we can't see it. We're cranking that that fog machine way down so we can really feel it, right? And the the hard part is is realizing that it's our hand on the knob. Yes, it's, it's our job to control that fear in our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing about that fear: when you break fear down scientifically, fear is just an emotional reaction to a future event that may or may not happen, with you focused on a negative outcome. Fear is simply negatively focused on certainty. And so if you're focused on a, on a negative outcome, which is what the narcissistic belief gives you, because they've taken your power to just let you know that you can't or that you're unable or you're not worthy. And so you already have this, this belief that you can't and you're unworthy and you're, you're not going to. And so that, that idea of that fear, that feeling you feel inside where you feel like you can't breathe, right? The interesting thing about that, that feeling, that is a natural primal response. Mm-hmm. That fear response that you feel, it's not that you can't breathe. It's that your body's conserving air so that you're ready to run further and faster at any given moment. Yep. Right? And the cool part about that is when you talk to Broadway actors, one of the things that they're trained to do is they walk on stage in front of thousands of people. They're all looking at them. And under the spotlight, I just heard a great story about, by an actor. He went down on one and forgot every line in his head, right? He had a spotlight. Yeah. He was supposed to do a 12-minute monologue. And the, his, his, his brain shut off, right, because he went into a fear response. But there, he's trained to exhale 
<sighs> relax all his muscles. And it shuts off the fear response and it turns on the cognitive brain again and all the lines come rushing back to your head. Mm-hmm. And I, I've directed many, many plays. Um, it's still one of my hobbies today. I'm, a, I'm known in this town for Shakespeare. That's what I do. And I use that in every rehearsal process because they've studied their lines. They know their lines. They have their lines. And it's a matter of breaking them through that, that limitation. And the way you do it is you shut off your fear response. <sighs> Relax. You know, it's and, so interesting. It, it, it is, it is fear. And I love the way that you put that together. Um, you know, I think so many people stay in these situations because they're afraid that there's nothing better for them on the other side, right? If they leave that it's not going to get better. So in my case, I was like, I'm never going to meet somebody and get married and have a family. And like, this is the better option. And really, I didn't want to die not having that experience. But then, you know, I was almost murdered and I had a near death experience in this, in this mm. relationship. And the most profound thing was the dying was very peaceful and very mm. calm. But I had, I, I saw myself go inside of my body and I heard my 12 year old self crying. And I was afraid that I didn't save myself. And it was the most sad I had ever been. I wasn't afraid of dying. That was the peaceful thing. Mm. I was afraid of what I saw when I died. And when I woke up, that lit a fire under me like nobody's business because I was like, oh my gosh, I've been so afraid of dying and not having this relationship and this experience of marriage and all these things that society tells us to have. And when in reality, the biggest fear was that I hadn't connected with my own self and for my own life purpose. And it was such a profound moment. And I tell people that if you take the jump and leave and do the work there, there's no more fear. I'm not afraid of dying. I know that that's a peaceful thing. Like I actually, you know, that would have been the better option at some point. After that, I was like, gosh, this is such hard work. That was the better option for a while there. But, you know, and and the way you put that was just so beautifully because I didn't even realize it and put those dots together until just now. Oh, good. That's, it, and I, I had to use that in my life many times. And I still do. When I was on the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, I, I'd ask the soldiers, how can you go into these firefights? And know that you're going to survive. And they, they would say the same thing. First thing they would do is, okay, let's go get this done. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they would exhale and shut off their response. The next thing that they had was they said that it was also easier because they had an objective. They had something to focus on. Right. And so what you have to get realized, what you have to realize is you can set your fear aside and sometimes having something to focus on and to look rather than the fear gives you the opportunity to move forward. Now, what I've kind of just done here is I've kind of led you into what I call the five F's. Mm-hmm. Right? Fearlessness is the first. Focus is the second, right? We've, we've got this focus. Now, we talked earlier about the idea of the, the positive focus, staying very positive. Those soldiers don't think about the idea of, of going into that firefight and dying, right? They focus on... I'm taking that building. I'm taking that hill. I'm taking that, you know, their, their objective is the positive outcome. Uh, I'm a stuntman and I have stood on top of very tall things and jumped off. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can promise you when you're standing on something very tall, you're not focused on what you're standing on. You're focused on where the heck you're going to land. Yep. <laughs> that, I, that I promise you. Right. So you got to stay focused on the positive outcome of what you're looking at. Right. And, and, and so you got fearlessly focused. And the next one is for, for the people who've had a narcissist in their life, the next one's the hard one. It's the hardest one of all of them is, is 
faith in yourself. Faith mm-hmm. that you can. Because that that's what's been taken away. That's the thing that's been snatched from you. You know, they, they they've taken your faith in self to make themselves have faith in themselves. Yep. Right? And so perfect. Yeah. And so you have to you have to take your faith back. And when I say faith, you know, I, I don't mean spiritual faith, but if that's where you find your faith, that's fine. That's great. It's just finding it. You got to find it somewhere. Um, but don't give your power away. Take your power because the I am moment was not I am if I think yeah, I want you to. Right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, I, uh, I am. It, wasn't, it also wasn't I will be or I was. It's I am, right? So you have, it's you taking, I am. I am taking my power. I am believing it. I am, I am, I am going to get this thing. And then you, you feel that in the energy, the way you say things. You know, I, like I said, I, I told you some of the lists of the things I've done in my life. I, I have never, ever since my back injury and, and, and those revelations in my life, I've never looked back. You know, I've changed my career many, many times. And I always hear people say, oh, I don't know what's next or I don't know what I'm going to do. And, I, oh, my God, I don't know what the future. You don't, you don't have to know what the future holds because the future doesn't hold anything but what you choose. And so you, mm-hmm. you get to choose. And, you know, I, people say to me all the time, I think I'm on the wrong path. And I'm like, well, you got something wrong here because there's no path. The path is where you put your foot. Yes. <laughs> right? yep. So put your, put your foot down and the path will land below you. And, and, and in reality is if you start looking for a very specific path, you'll start to see that because your subconscious mind will show it to you. But until you turn that path back to yourself and find out who you truly are and start living your own inner power, then you then you're never going to find the real path. Yeah, and it's about listening to your own inner navigation system, right? It, if you exactly. if you have a feeling that you're on the wrong path, that is your intuition telling you that something just isn't right and maybe we should do a deep breath and explore what it is and why you're having that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you put your foot down, listen to that guidance system and put your foot down with the guidance system, right? Yeah. Don't listen to anybody else's guidance system. And we live in a society where we so desperately want everybody else's guidance to make the right mm-hmm. decision. Right. And acceptance. And, and acceptance. acceptance. Yes. And yeah. they can't yeah. make that decision for you. Everybody's right. life path or life journey or life is so different. And everyone's here to experience life through their own experience. And so you can't ask somebody else for that. I've stopped asking for opinions. I've learned that that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well right? and, and a lot of times people will ask for opinions because they're self-doubting. Yes. Right? When I when I uh, when I directed theme parks, I, I became known in in the, the Renaissance Festival industry as the guy who could come in and save your fair. You know, your fair was was floundering, and I would come in, and I would change the marketing, and I would change um, the just a lot of the various elements. I would I would organize the show, but one of the things I would really do was I would change the dynamic of the people, and a lot of times, especially in theater world, and and and. Renaissance festivals are theater. It's just theme park work, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times what you get is you get these people who are there because it makes them feel powerful and they, they excel and they're doing great and they're looking great. But, but then they get into this ego where they start telling everybody how great they are and making everybody else feel like they're not as great as they are. And a lot of times what I would do is I would come in and I would assess the land and then I would fire the top people mm-hmm. and they go, you can't fire them. I said, watch this. 
I fire them, right? Five people below them grab their inner power. Yeah. And suddenly, next thing you know, I have five that are better better than he was, right? Mm-hmm. The, one that, the one that I fired. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is about a week later, the person I fire is going to give me a phone call. And they're going to say, can I, can I uh, come talk to you? Sure, I'd love to do that, right? And I know what they want. They want their job back. They want to go because I've take I've taken their power from them at this point, and so they walk into my office and I say to them, "I'm so glad we have a chance to talk about this. I think we both can learn from this experience." Uh, but before we get into this, I just want you to know: once I make a decision, I never go back on it. What do you want to say? And. You know, then I usually hear things about my mother and, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> things that we don't know, want to talk about on air. But uh, um, but sometimes I'm lucky because sometimes they take it as a real learning experience. What did I do wrong? What did I, what, you know, and I tell them flat out, I said, you know, your ego was knocking down five other people and, you know, their narcissistic tendencies were holding five other people back. And, and so I can't have, I can't have, you know, it's diminishing returns at that point. If you're going to be the one and the other five aren't going to do as well as they can, I can get five of them to do, you know, five times the amount that you did. Right. So it just makes sense. But the, the, the key point was, is that I didn't ask anybody's opinion. I just, I literally just went in there and said, this is what's happening. And once I made the decision, I didn't second guess myself which is a key element of people who live with a narcissist. They constantly second guess everything they do because they don't believe their value. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that you say that, that I have so much. Cause then, you know, what a gift you're giving those people whose ego went on overdrive, which us theater people are good at that. Oh, um, I did it. I was there. Giving, <laughs> them, giving them a reality check. Cause most of the time they are empathic people and they just, they're human and their egos get the best of them, but some of them are narcissistic. Um, and it, it gives you a moment to reset and realize that you don't need to stomp on anybody to get anywhere. And I think that's, that's, that's key. But um, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, you know, I, I don't have a good, I don't have a relationship with my family. And, you know, about a little while ago, I asked, I, I texted my mom and dad and I was like, what is it that I need to do to be welcomed back into this family? So this whole thing with my ex, like they took his side and he's a narcissist, my dad's a narcissist. And it was like the perfect world to get rid of the outspoken scapegoat in the family, right? Get, let's just get rid of her. And then we can keep the cult going, right? And they actually answered the question. They gave me a whole laundry list of stuff that I had to do. They had to put (laughs) conditions on me for me to be loved by them. And I wrote back, I was like, okay, that's all. I was just hoping you would say that you love me unconditionally and I need to do nothing and that you love me whole for who I am. And that, no, 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 no. There was conditions to come back into the cult. And, uh, and I just needed that validation just to make sure just, just one last time. But, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, as you said that, I thought, I thought about that. And, and well, yeah, it's so, it's so perfect because it's like we said earlier, what we all want is unconditional love. Yeah. And, and if there's conditions, it's not unconditional. And I, and I learned that lesson hard with the hard way, you know, what, what, what does a, a, nar- a narcissist do to the people that, that they're doing it to? Um, they call me triple X cause I have three X wives. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and the reason I have three X wives is because of the fact that I went into all those relationships and I gave myself up mm-hmm. for them because I 
they I made them the I made them the narcissist, even though they weren't. I my last one was my last one's a well my last wife was a huge narcissist, but um and still is a huge narcissist, but mm. um. But I, I, I went into that, those experiences realizing that, that I had to become something for them rather than being me, which is if you want unconditional love, you can't put conditions on yourself either. You know, I, my condition was that I had to become what they wanted for them to love me. So I created that condition, right? Now, granted, they also had the condition that I had to become what they wanted for me to be loved by them. But what was most interesting was the reasons the relationship failed is because they liked me when they met me. They got interested in me. They, they fell in love with me when they met me. And then they wanted me to change. And when I changed, it became something that I, I was not, and I was not my authentic self. The marriage has failed, right? People say to me all the time, especially people who have had, had have a lot of self-doubt, if they're single, they say, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to get a soulmate or I'm going to try to find a soulmate. I said, well, how are you doing that? And they'll, and say, for instance, they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to the bars and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm like, well, so let me ask you a question. Did, did you go to the bars before? And they go, well, not really. I'm not really a bar person. Not really. Because most, most aren't. Most people who are victims of narcissism aren't, aren't bar people because they don't yeah. want to be in that situation. And they go, well, no, I wasn't really a bar person. I said, so you are putting yourself in a situation where you're surrounding yourself with people who don't have similar interests as you, and you're ex- hoping that one of them will like you. So you've you've put yourself in a real no-win situation because whoever does start liking you, they're not going to like you for the wrong reasons because they're not liking you for you because you've put yourself in a situation that you're not being you. If you want to find a true loving relationship, you know, Nietzsche said you must foster the friendship first. And so to get friendship first, you have to be authentically yourself. What do you like to do? Well, I like to go ride my bike. Well, go join a cycle group. Yeah. And start riding the bike and doing the things you like. But don't go there expecting to find a relationship. Go there expecting to express yourself fully and strike up conversations with people that you feel comfortable with. What you're going to find is when you start expressing yourself fully, you will find people who will unconditionally love you for you because they see you, not you desperately seeking a relationship. Yes. And that's how you become a target of a narcissist. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) When you're desperately seeking a relationship. Uh, The golden question, do you think a narcissist can change? Um, I think it's very difficult. Um, I think narcissism in itself, um, needs to be addressed on many levels. I think nine, well, 99% and probably all of narcissists were victims in some form themselves. Yeah. And um, that takes some deep seated work as we all know um, to get through stuff like that. I do believe they can change. I, however, do not believe it should ever be their victim to try to change them. And I don't think their victim should ever go down that route because once they've established you as the victim or the person that they abused, they will that that emotional pattern is almost impossible to break because they're going to see you that way and they can fall into patterns really simply and easily. You know, this is the way we've interacted in the past and I'm not doing that anymore. 
And then mm-hmm. if, if they don't if they don't hold that for a half a year or more, <laughs> you know, solid. They say twenty one days creates habit. I think it's much longer. Right. Oh yeah. I think it's much longer. And I I think that if they don't hold on to that for a great length of time, they're not going to break a cycle. And even if they do break a cycle, they can still sl- get lazy and slip back into their pattern. It's like I look at narcissism kind of like alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You know, they're addicted to the power, and you know, an alcoholic. It, is an alcoholic for life. Mm-hmm. And a narcissist has to think of it that way. I think they can break the pattern, but I think they have to keep a check on it their entire life. Oh, yeah. And they actually, we call it narcissistic supply. They actually get high when they get supply. Like I've mm-hmm. actually seen the rush happen and the smile and the smirk and the release when the supply happens. Yeah. Um, and I also think the victim is addicted as well. They're addicted to the love bombing and the self-acceptance, right? right? When, when the cycle of abuse goes around, they love right. the attention and the facade that the narcissist will put on them. Can I break, can I break that down a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about, you know, earlier in spirituality, God is love, right? And we have that fear knob that we're talking about. I think addiction itself is medicating our fear. And I think that literally when we get into a fear state, we the reason we, we get addictive behaviors is because of the fact that we are trying to find something that's, something to make us feel loved or mm-hmm. make us feel an artificial feeling that feels good, a positive feeling. And I think the idea of, of, of having that um, external thing that we can put power in like the narcissistic is like he's putting power in the in the abuse that he's giving mm-hmm. right so he, that's and what's really what i find really interesting is is remember i said earlier when to break your fear cycle you have to exhale <sighs> right right now picture this imagine this was this drink in my hand here was uh scotch and i was an alcoholic i would take my glass and i would <sighs> And yeah. I'll allow myself to breathe. Now imagine that this pen right here is a cigarette. <sighs> and I allow myself to breathe. Imagine this is a slice of pizza and I'm addicted to food. <sighs> I allow myself. To, every, every addict, when they get their fix, exhales. Yeah. And what's the exhale do? Releases the fear response. So they're not really addicted to the substance as they are the feeling of the substance. And so if they can, because everything that you see in this world is made of nothing but pure energy, according to science. There's, it's, and, and that energy is not physical. It's an energy event. Mm-hmm. And noetic science has proven that when we think, we can measure our thought waves. And if we focus that to a point in space, the waves don't pass that point. So we are literally creating in our space. And so... When we allow ourselves, when we put our thought into this substance gives me X, gives me positivity, then we give that the power. The reality of it is, is, is if you could just get those people to take breathing breaks instead of smoke breaks or breathing breaks instead of drink breaks, what will happen is they'll start to associate breathing with it instead of Instead of it, and then they'll get addicted to breathing, which is a much better substance to be addicted to. Right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the process of shifting to breathing is is empowering. Absolutely. You've broken the cycle of the addiction. And 
narcissists themselves. They'll abuse somebody, and like you said, they get a smile on their face, and they go, ah, see what I just did there? Same, yep. It's the same exact thing. Exactly. Wow, I could go on for days talking to you about this. You uh, <laughs> definitely have um, enlightened me. Any Any final thoughts? Yes, your present moment choices are tomorrow's outcomes. So don't worry about what happened yesterday. Only worry about what's happening right here, right now. doesn't matter who you were. matters who you are. Stay right there. One thing I also want to say is that I'm going to give your audience a, a, a free gift. And I say free. I mean free. My word is good. This is a link. You go there and you get the book. You don't have to give me an email address, anything. This today is about bringing value, not taking from you. So this is about you getting something for free, right? Uh, something that will really help. This is the 5F workbook. It takes you through your own process to help you break through your own barriers and move forward towards new goals and new outcomes. Uh, it's www.corporateactionhero.com slash gift. And you just go there and you can get that and uh, and enjoy it. And then, check, well, you know, you're on my website anyway. Look around. And if you're looking for just a little tidbit of motivation every day, just make sure you stop by my Interaction Hero vlog or, or find me on YouTube. I put out a piece of motivation every day. And I will be sure to put all this in the show notes. And then I will also tag you on yeah. YouTube and, and everything as well. And then you also have a podcast too, right? The the action, the Interaction Hero podcast. Inter brand new podcast. Just started it. I'm still very new at the at the podcast hosting side of it all. Um, I'm really enjoying doing, doing guesting because I get to, you know, I've spoken on bulimia. I've spoken on now narcissism. I've spoken, I, I get to take what I, what I deliver and, and put it into action in many venues. And since January, um, well, actually, let me look at this right now. Since the end of January, you are my 69th guest appearance. Wow. <laughs> so you, I'm working. <laughs> it's because you can take that and translate it into so many realms. of, And, and it goes, it's so multi-layered and so complex, yeah. right? It's about hacking your fight or flight response and breaking through your fear barriers. Well, that's in every element. And the other thing, the other thing is, is, is if you're doing it, if you understand the process, you can guide others through. And I do, I do that in my speeches as well. I take somebody in from my audience who's very timid and in under five minutes, they learn to crack a whip and take targets out of my hand in front of an audience of thousands. That's amazing. Yeah, I saw, I think I saw that on one of your videos on your website. And like I said, I was very entertained. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I hope that you come back and join us again. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Well, thanks. I'd love to come back. We can talk more and get into other deep topics and I can dive into all kinds of weird things for you. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Wow. My mind is kind of blown. I had a couple breakthrough moments recording this podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you, John, for joining me in the secret garden today. So much knowledge and just an inspiration. Your energy is fantastic. Again, you can find John at corporateactionhero.com or you can go listen to his podcast at Interaction Hero. And I will put all of the links below, especially to his 5F um, uh, guide for all of you that he talked about in his um here in the podcast. For those of you new to my podcast, you can come find me at The Divine Self on YouTube and on Facebook and Twitter at The Divine Self. On next week's episode, I have Jennifer Manhart joining me in the garden. Until next time, have a good evening.